Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. to go on Wesson Walker at Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We will continue the college basketball conversation by heading to the Body Works Plus guest hotline and welcoming Gary Parrish of the Ion College Basketball Podcast, also a columnist and TV analyst for CBS Sports. Gary, thanks so much for the time. How are you? I'm great. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, Gary. We appreciate it as well. And we were just talking about the strength of the ACC as a whole this year, just coming off of the game against the Heels and the Blue Devils. And then, of course, Duke loses big last night to Miami. How would you describe the strength of the conference this season? Um, Not where it should be, but there's an easy, simple explanation for why it is down, relatively speaking. And by down, I mean, the Atlantic Coast Conference is, is ranked seventh, according to the net right now. The seventh best conference in the country. That's behind the Big 12, Big 10, SEC, Big East, Mountain West, and the Pac-12, wow. but just ahead of the West Coast Conference. Now, uh, in the simplest of terms, this, program, this, this league should never be ranked as the seventh best men's basketball league in the country by any computer. But the explanation is some of the biggest brands in the ACC – are having either bad or horrifically bad seasons relative to to what is normal for them. Louisville is one of the best programs in men's basketball, broadly speaking, historically speaking. Uh, Right now it's literally the worst power conference basketball program in America, uh, ranked 327th in the net. I know that um, there's some thought that Kenny Payne is going to get a year two at Louisville, but if I were part of that administration – I would think real long and hard about that because I say this as respectfully as I can say it. He has shown no ability whatsoever to to run this basketball program in any sort of competent way. And that's a big drag on the ACC. Syracuse is down relative to where it normally operates. Notre Dame, Florida State. And so when your biggest brands, or at least some of them, are performing well below their normal historical standard, then the the league starts to flip, particularly when it's a league that – I think has some good teams, but I don't know that there's a legitimate national title contender among them, and that's obviously not normal either. Well, and and look, we're talking about one team here in North Carolina that did make the national championship last season, but granted, that was as a lower seed, and it's not like you see that every single run. It's not like we're talking about a potential eight seed in the middle of the season saying, yeah, I view this team as a national championship contender, but yet this is a team that comes in this year all the high expectations. Number one, you recreate the Sports Illustrated cover with Hubert Davis drawing on the board, and then you have Sam Perkins turned Armando Baycott in the background, and now here they are in a somewhat similar path on their way to the tournament. How do we evaluate North Carolina at this point, Gary? I'm surprised that we're sitting here having the same conversation again because I didn't have North Carolina number one in the preseason, but I did have the Tar Heels number two, and I just thought, you know, simply put, if you bring back four starters from a team that 
wasn't just hot in the NCAA tournament. They got really good several weeks before the NCAA tournament even started, evidence being, you know, the regular season finale victory at Duke. And I thought you'd bring back four starters from that team, bring back uh, or, or add a transfer to, to fill the, the role that Brady Manick vacated. And, and you should be able to, to pick up more or less right where you left off. And yet that just so clearly hasn't been the case. They're not elite offensively. They're even worse defensively. They've had this, you know, awful four-game losing streak back in November, December, and though they then ran off some wins over mostly inferior opponents, there's no getting around the fact that they're now sitting here at 15 and eight, just seven and five in the league, and on a two-game losing streak. It's disappointing, um, you know. And I think a lot of the questions that people were asking about Hubert Davis this time last year are starting to, to get asked again, whether that's fair or not. You know, I guess reasonable minds could disagree, but I was somebody who came around to the idea that it took Hubert a minute to get that where it needed to be, but he got it there and it wasn't fluky and he's going to have one of the best teams in the country this upcoming season. As we sit here today, what looks more true than that is that maybe it was a team that just had a great six weeks and uh, everything before that and since then has been pretty mediocre. Gary, West Bryant here. And so you see some seasons when a team is on top, it's indicative of how the conference is looking. And you talked about that earlier, their rank amongst, uh, amongst other leagues. Has Clemson kind of wrecked the ACC in the sense of that them sitting there on top right now, their lack of non-conference wins, is that the reason why they are sitting there unranked? And is that hurting the perception of the ACC that Clemson is sitting there on top at this moment? Well, I, I think um, I, I think that the, the thing that, that is hurting the league is, like I said, some of these big brands are down. And even though North Carolina is not a disaster, it's certainly down relative to where um, it normally is and where we thought it would be. Even though Duke is not a disaster, it is obviously relative down from where it normally is and where we expect it to be. What that has done, all these big brands being down, is it, it has opened it up for a mediocre team like Clemson to – maybe win an outright ACC title. Like, I wondered about this last week on the Island College Basketball Podcast because entering the weekend, and it's still true today, Clemson was ranked outside of the top 60, but alone atop the ACC standing. I wondered, has there ever been a time in the history of the ACC where a team in February was alone atop the league standings but ranked outside of the top 60 at Kenpop? And I bet you if we did the research on it, we'd find that that's never happened before. Um, Clemson is in position, and this won't happen, but it, 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 it speaks to how mediocre the resume is because they did a lot of damage to their body of work you know, in the non-league portion of their schedule. They're sitting here atop the ACC standings, but with two quadrant four losses and a quadrant three loss. That's unusual. And so, again, this won't happen, but Clemson, both these things are true. Clemson is in position to win the ACC as of today. Clemson is also in position to miss the NCAA tournament because the resume, um, though they have performed well in a weakened ACC, the entire body of work that the selection committee is going to evaluate, there, there's not a, a whole lot there. This is a team that is just three and three in quadrant one. And again, they've got three losses outside of the first two quadrants. That's why you see them closer to the bubble than an ACC leader should ever be at this point in the season. And then, Gary, turning the page to Duke, 
have their struggles this season been due to just a freshman class that isn't as advertised? Do you feel like they're getting better as the season goes and could be a problem in March? And then do you feel like that the fact that these freshmen have not been quite as advertised, is that a reflection on this kind of national freshman class not being chock full of just can't-miss NBA guys? Well, I, I think you touched on something important there, and that's that, you know, so often players who are supposed to be the top players in the class are now reclassified, and they're getting to college earlier, which is making every subsequent class uh, uh, often a little weaker than it otherwise would be. In other words, in a different world right now, Jalen Duran is a college freshman instead of an NBA rookie, but he reclassified to get to college early. Amani Bates would be a, a college freshman, and who knows if he didn't have that disastrous early year at Memphis, how differently he might be thought of now if he enrolled at a different power conference school. So with Duke, yes, I do think the class, broadly speaking, was um, – not what your typical number one class might be in terms of legitimate high-end NBA talent. Like this Duke class, I, I think the rankings were similar to the R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish class, but I don't think the quality of prospect was similar to, to that class. And so when you combine that with the fact that Tariq Whitehead has missed time and it's still sidelined, he was one of the heralded five-star recruits, and Derek Lively, though he's getting better and has made some impactful um, plays on the defensive end and at the rim in recent games, he has, for a top-five prospect, largely been disappointing this season. So when you try to figure out, so why is Duke down relative to where it was supposed to be, which is a top-ten team? Well, their point guard, which was really the only meaningful player they brought back, he had to miss time. Tariq Whitehead had missed time. Derek Lively has been largely um, ineffective. Like, if I would have told you all that stuff or anybody would have told me all that stuff in the preseason, we would have probably reached the conclusion, man, I don't know how good Duke is, is going to be. But to circle back to one of your initial points, um, Lively is starting to get more comfortable. There's some thought that Whitehead will be back at some point. Um, you know, if they are healthy and these freshmen continue to develop, they could still be a scary out in the NCAA tournament, but at this point, it, it seems pretty clear to me um, that John Shire's first year at Duke is, is going to go down as disappointing relative to what most of us thought it was going to be. Again, there's an explanation for why injuries and, and one of the heralded recruits not being that great, but um, still, you know, this was a preseason top 10 team that really hasn't looked anything like that all year. It's Gary Parrish of the Ion College Basketball Podcast and CBS Sports uh, on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Gary, kind of a loaded question, but I'm really interested in when Jim Beheim finally does decide to retire, how we're going to celebrate him. You know, we saw him just make those remarks about how Miami, Wake Forest, they bought teams, and then he took back some of those comments, especially with Wake Forest. We know that he just belittled a reporter. All he, all that reporter did was ask a question about a player's absence. How are you going to celebrate or maybe not celebrate Jim Beheim's presence in college basketball when that presence turns to an absence? I, I do think it's important to note that he is um, going to go down as one of the most accomplished basketball coaches in history, and the, the career he's had is one that 99.9% .9 of guys who get into that business would love to have. Um, but it is, it, it's time to go. And I'm not in the business of telling men or women or anybody else where they should work, where they shouldn't work, how long they should work, 
generally speaking, but just from a pure basketball perspective, that Syracuse program has been down for a little while. It's been hidden a bit because sprinkled in the past few years, they they had a Final Four in there. They had a couple of other Sweet 16s. But since 2015, here is where Syracuse, which was in my childhood and early adult life, one of the best programs in the entire country consistently. Since 2015, here's where Syracuse has finished in the ACC. 8th, 9th, 7th, 10th, 7th, 6th, 8th, and 9th, and they're having a bad season this season. The idea that Jim thinks um, or has tricked himself into thinking that this program is still operating where it ought to operate is a little strange. I don't think he should retire because he's 78 years old. I think he should retire because the program is no longer operating at the level at which it once operated, and that is undeniable. And when you combine it with all of the other stuff, you know, sniping at other league members, which came across as just trying to make excuses for him having a very average ACC team, and then, you know, cutting off or or belittling, um, you know, student reporters who are just there asking obvious questions. Like there was nothing offensive or misplaced about that question um you know one of the other comments that jim made i thought was again delusional he said 95 percent of syracuse fans want him to keep coaching i work at cbs sports we have a whole lot of syracuse graduates who work at cbs sports um you know just i haven't conducted a poll but i don't know any syracuse fans who want jim Beheim to continue coaching he's had an incredible career but it, it should be over come this march i don't know whether it will be but if he wants to do the best thing for that program, for that university, it, it's time to let somebody else hold that position. And then, Gary, we had a guest on yesterday from the Raleigh area, and he talked about Kevin Keats and his perception with the fans and with the start that they've had to the season. They're 19-5 and five right now, and they've got some big wins this season. What do you feel about the job that he's done this year, and do you think that he is a guy that – they should try to keep in Raleigh because uh, we were told that the fans there have already made up their mind about him and that there may be a, a separation of the two come seasons in, perhaps no matter what he does outside of winning a national championship or a deep tournament run. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, again, I don't, I don't try to, I, I once did try to tell fans how they should feel about mm-hmm. their coaches. Uh, and um, one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is, it always comes across as an outsider um, trying to tell fans some, about something that they, you know, live and breathe and, and, and in many ways know more about. So if NC State fans have reached that uh, conclusion, well, then, you know, that, that's, that's them. But I will say that Kevin Keith has probably got one of the two best teams in the ACC this season, the other one being Virginia. Um, I know that the results have not always been there or even um, consistently uh, been what, you know, NC State fans want and and should expect. But, you know, to to sour on a guy while he is having a pretty impressive uh, bounce-back season and sour on a guy who is about to make the NCAA tournament and, you know, could theoretically still win an ACC title, um, that that seems a, a little early to be making that decision, at least from, from my perspective. Um, I, I think Kevin is, is a good basketball coach who has uh, gone through, uh, you know, some difficult seasons at NC State. But, but finally, this season seems to have it in a, in a pretty good place. So if I were an NC State fan, I think I'd be getting excited as this calendar moves closer to March as opposed to remaining discouraged. But again, 
um, you know, uh, that, that'll be an issue for Kevin and his fans and that athletic department to resolve when, when they get there. My advice would be just enjoy what has turned into a, a pretty fun season. You've got one of the best teams in the ACC, one of the top, I think, 20 teams in the country, and a legitimate NBA prospect, you know, at the, at the head of the thing. That's a, that's a pretty good thing to, to have right now. I, I bet you um, North Carolina fans or, or even Duke fans wish at this moment, right in this moment, that they were having the season Kevin Keith is having right now at NC State. <laughs> you like that. That was a nice grunt from Wes. All right, Gary, final thing before we get you out of here. Uh, Ion, college basketball pod producer, Nada Edwards, and friend of mine yeah. for a while, he told me to ask you a certain question. He just wanted to know, along with myself, what pair of AirPods you're on right now? Is this the fifth or the seventh? What iteration are we on as of this oh, interview? Oh, it's closer to like seven or eight. But I, I feel like I, I fixed my problem. My problem always was, um, honestly, having maybe one drink too many and leaving them on planes yeah. or uh, or leaving them in Ubers. And then we got uh, a new dog who likes to chew on anything that will fit in his mouth. So I lost a pair to, as well as my oldest son lost a pair to our dog. But now I've got a device that hooks on my computer bag that I carry with me basically everywhere. And you put the AirPods in there and then it has a button. You can actually close it and lock them in there. And so I haven't lost any just walking down the streets of New York, which has happened before. Haven't lost any just walking through the airport, which has happened before. And I tend to not forget them anymore because they're attached and buttoned up to my bag. So this pair that I'm using in this moment, I've had now for at least six months. Okay. And that's like record. That's record setting for me. Like I am, I am operating on a record setting um, uh, 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 AirPod uh, situation right now. I hope to continue my streak. Uh, at least through the end of the season, but we'll see. All right, we have the vault for AirPods to save you from airplane bottles and canines. That's perfect. I'm going to have to get some of those inquiries from you. That's Gary Parrish, a part of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at Gary Parrish. CBS does great work there all across the college basketball landscape. We re- uh, really appreciate the time, Gary. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks, Gary. Okay. Absolutely. Great stuff from him. Awesome. Let's recap some of those comments steer the direction back into the Carolina Panthers conversation as well. Still lots to get to Wesson Walker sports radio, 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm back. You're back. The Weston Walker Show is back. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit us up on the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. Follow us on Twitter, Wes and Walker. Oh, what we got? 
this could have been a flash item, but I figured we'd bring it to the forefront now as right. we transition back into Panther talk. Steve Wilkes has a new home. Um, He's been bay? hired by the San Francisco 49ers to be their defensive coordinator, according to NFL Network. So uh, Steve Wilkes has found himself a new home. And was it the last two defensive coordinators, Wes, for the Niners have gone on to be head coaches in the NFL? That's right. Welcome to the Bay, Steve. You know what I'm saying? We're going to treat you right, unlike they did uh, here in Charlotte. Are you going to hire him to be head coach? Uh, no, we will not do that. We have that We have that taken care of, but he okay. doesn't have to worry about that. Are you going to give him an interim head coaching job? No, we're going to get him oh, a okay. Super Bowl championship <laughs> next season. What if he's a defensive genius? And then genius springboard now. him to the to his to next his job? second head coaching job. Okay. That's what we're going to do for him. But That'll what be- if he's a defensive genius and his defensive genius wins you more over than Kyle Shanahan's offensive antics at times? <laughs> Well, that would be fantastic. Like I said, our plan, <laughs> we're going to get Steve that championship ring, and then we're going to get him to his next job, man. That's what they're going to do. So welcome to the Bay. Get that E-40 going. He probably old school. I don't know any old funk groups, anything like that from the Bay. I'd have to look it up. From San Francisco? Yeah, because well, he strikes me as a man that will like that funk and that soul. You well, know what I'm saying? We got some people from Oakland we can go to if you want to go yeah, Bay who you got? Area. Let's go. Yeah, well, Souls of Mischief, I believe, is from Oakland. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was talking about like funk, Too like R&B. Too short. He might now. He might be too short because I could have oh, seen yeah. him bumping that in high school. But the problem is, too short is probably a little too raunchy for Steve Wilkes. I don't think he gets short. down like that. Steve, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but we're thinking about young Steve, West Charlotte Steve. Yeah. West Charlotte Steve was probably <laughs> bumping that. Yeah, I mean, so too short would be the only one that I could think of. If we're not Souls of Mischief, that's a little bit more. But jazzy I'm thinking about like R&B funk bands and stuff like that, like stuff they would listen to back in the. I think well, uh, I know Parli- it Parliament. Did- no, I'm talking about like Parliament stuff like that. I, I it only my my Oakland based R and B slash hip hop group. I'm gonna look it up so and deep. we're gonna figure that out. All right. So coming back into things, just recapping really quick. I thought Gary Paris had some very interesting things to stay to say, starting with the Clemson Tigers. Man, just I was looking at that this morning and just saying like, man, they're sitting on top of the ACC, but they're not ranked. And uh, I know they lost a game to Clemson this weekend. They kind of knocked them out of there. But he was just talking about how Clemson's real lack of good wins on their resume and things of that nature is hurting them, and they may not even be a tournament team. Yeah. NASCAR Brad wrote, did this guy really just say Clemson could miss the NCAA tournament? I'll read the actual text. And then, thank you for interrupting. Did this dumbass. Does that that make you feel better? Yes. Okay, great. Myron Goodman wrote in, love Gary Parrish, but he does rely way too much on computer numbers. Ken Palm is his favorite word. But if you were listening to his point, it's not what he feels about Clemson. It's not saying that he thinks Clemson should be out of the NCAA tournament. He's saying there's a very real possibility where you're talking about a wild card program right now. Being at the top of the ACC when the regular season is said and done, and at that point, you're clearly making the NCAA tournament. But right now, there's still enough of the regular season to go to where this thing could get off of the rails. After all, we're talking about two straight losses, a bad one to Boston College. They lost to Miami. You could certainly see them losing hello at the Dean Dome. Clemson's lost there quite a few times. So Clemson losing at the Dean Dome on February 11th, that's three straight losses. You do have Florida State and Louisville on the road. That would probably help you get back in the good and graces. And State and Virginia. But, right. But the point being is with Clemson being at this point in the season, 
I, I understand what he was saying based off how the committee is going to view the Tigers heading into March. And so, yeah, like I, I understand it is kind of hard to get a grip on who the real Tigers are in this season. Well, what were some of your other takeaways from that? Because I know we talked a lot about uh, what he said about NC State. Uh, he said a lot about Duke. He said a lot. So what were some of your other takeaways? So the other thing I wanted to talk about was Jim Beheim, how we celebrate yes. him. And, I mean, Jim Beheim does have a million wins, okay? This guy has been coaching at Syracuse forever. He is a legend, specifically at Syracuse. It's not Roy Williams accolades that he ever, uh, you know, ever accomplished. Same thing with Coach K. I mean, even when we're talking about all-time jerks in the sport, even a Bobby Knight accomplished more than Jim Beheim, and nobody is Bobby Knight when it comes to being a jerk within college basketball. But this guy constantly just belittling, belittling the reporter that we talked about, right? Where all they're doing is asking about a player's absence, and it's saying, really, that's the question you want to ask? Like, yeah. It is, Jim. That is the question. I want to know the answer. What's going on? And then you want to throw college programs under the bus for participating in this era of college basketball. Right. And it's not like any of this is foreign. He's been a problem to speak to constantly. And Jim Beheim doesn't care. That's fine. I'm not even saying he should. That's fine. But when we discuss how we celebrate a guy, it could be so much more if he just was baseline. If he was just an average dude speaking to media, speaking to the fans, somebody wrote in, hey, we should respect him. He's an all-time legend. Okay, like if you subscribe to one but championship. that's the problem, well, letting him get away with stuff because he's a quote-unquote all-time legend. Well, and I don't think that's even happening now. And if you want to give him his props for winning one championship and making a Final Four like every decade, that's cool. Like that, that's fine. I'm not even saying it's the easiest thing to do, but when we're talking about legendary stuff – it's there's not that level of accolade where you can talk about him being a what top 10 coach all time. Like I wouldn't put Jim Beheim on that list. And so there's a lot of regular season wins, but yeah, man, just he makes it hard. It's really easy to dislike that guy. And it's something I raised my hand high on. I know a lot of other people around this uh, part of the country do too. I mean, you look at his last four to five seasons, his high is 20 wins. And then he goes 18, 18, 16, 14. And I think, you know, on the way up, you see the same people on the way down, man. And he's not a nice guy when you meet him for a lot of people that have encountered him. I know myself, I told you guys a story about at the when I saw him at the pool one time and he just treated me like I was a nobody after I told him, you know, how I had watched him all my life coaching and stuff like that. And um, so I think that that will dampen his perception when he's retired as well. But just the fact of how Syracuse has finished, the fact that he only has one national championship, I think he is definitely respected, but liked. Uh, I don't think that he is, and I think that's God, going to play. I can't stand that man. <laughs> yeah, and into the celebration of his career uh, when it is over with. I mean, would you even dare to say that as long as he's been there, would you dare to say that he's overrated? In in the all time construct of college basketball yeah. is what you're saying. I mean, I don't I don't know. Do people? He gets hailed in some of the same lights as some of the all time greats, but he doesn't have all of the accolades that they do. Well, right. I think people recognize that. To be honest, I don't think anybody's putting him on a huge pedestal, right? I mean, Gary just talked about he knows a lot of people from Syracuse that either works at CBS or is in the media game. Hell, I mean, Syracuse, you see a lot of people from that university that is in the media game. And Gary was talking about how none of them are real excited about him possibly coming back next year, how they are kind of ready for him to go. You're talking about 
since 2014, 2015. So we're coming up on a decade. The most wins he's put together is a 23-win campaign. The last four years, it's all been under 20, and he's made the NCAA tournament three times. Now, I think Gary made a great point, too, when some of that's been camouflaged. You go back to a Final Four appearance in 2012-2013. They were 30-10. and 10. It was a good record. Some of those wins coming in March, but they made the Final Four. That's great. They were 19 and nine with a final four berth. Once you talk about 2015 and 16, like that's the kind of stuff that can camouflage it. And you know, they're, they're ranked below mid major programs in the tournament, but it's really like, it's, it's still Syracuse. And so they get hot in the turn. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. It's a weird guy to try to, to figure out how to celebrate when it is all said and done and, and hell it might not be the guy, the guy's coached forever now at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. So getting back to uh, the Panthers and a coach that may be overrated, may be underrated. We'll see, but we'll talk about Israel Evero and just talking about how long he will be here. And so just starting with some of the qualifying questions that will go along with that, starting with, You know, does that factor into team building as far as, you know, when you address personnel and things of that nature, will you factor how long he could potentially be here? Because we know that there's going to be an overhaul of this defense because there were even front four, three defense before. Now they're talking about going to odd front and that's a different personnel set that you have to have. So do you think about these things? Yeah. How long will he be here is an interesting question because. You're, you're talking about somebody that was a hot commodity this go around as a head coach and, and not too hot. He didn't get hired, but somebody that's getting these interviews, that's kind of the natural progression he's heating up from some of these assistant coaches. He's getting these interviews. Is he going to leave after one season or two seasons? But here's the, and this goes back to when we were ranking some of the coaching decisions that have come in this off season. If you are worried about him leaving after one year, That means more than likely that he will have done a fantastic job in order to give him credit as to get a head coaching job or get some kind of promotion. And if you don't want that, then you are trying to actively choose a coach that is worse, that you think will not perform as well to then eventually get that head coaching job. And I just can't twist words. I can't twist logic enough to make that make sense. Mm -hmm. So you get a Jero Avero on the squad immediately as soon as you have that opportunity. And in David, in David Tepper's case, you open up the bag for him. So for me, when you talk about just personnel and addressing the 53-man roster, yeah, like team building, this is exactly what you want. Remember, they brought in Joe Brady, who was rising up the coaching ranks quite a bit. He did a decent enough job that first year. That's up for debate. But decent enough job to the point where he got a lot of interviews. Didn't get a job comes back to Carolina as the OC. And so there's your second year. Eventually, Joe Brady is fired midseason because the second go around did not go quite as well as what you were all hoping for. So you just like we talk about the coaches like a Ben Johnson, for instance, maybe a little worried about him not striking while the iron's hot. It's going to have to happen again next year. And if it does, he'll get that head coaching opportunity. But if it doesn't, then we could see how quickly things change. It's the exact same thing for owners sometimes and franchises and coaching staffs. Ajero Avero, you can get him right now. 
Who cares if he leaves it in, in, in another year, right? That's okay because it means he did a great job. Go ahead and get him if there are the means to do so, and clearly there was for Carolina. What do you think his impact would be on the secondary? Because we saw that that was his specialty, uh, especially when he was with the Rams, that he really had an impact on that secondary. They were big on getting those turnovers, those interceptions. What type of impact do you think he will have? Because we know uh, J.C. Horn, but Dante Jackson on the other side, and some of those other guys, do you think that he is going to elevate their play? Yeah, I think so. I have all the reason to believe that he will. We saw him deal with an excellent cornerback in Pat Sertan that has been a debate topic here on this show for quite some time as it relates <laughs> to J.C. Horn. But now he gets to tutor this cornerback here in this team with Carolina so I do think that he's going to do an excellent job with some defensive backs. I know Kyle Bailey just had on Jordan Rodriguez, who covered Jero Averro during his time with the Rams, being a safeties coach, being a defensive assistant and doing a great job, parlaying that into a D.C. occupation. And it's nice to see him doing such a great job there. Yeah, I think so. I think the secondary can absolutely benefit from Jero Averro's presence. And especially if you look at, you mentioned some of the turnover numbers, Carolina struggled. And, and turning the other team over and getting some of those interceptions. They dropped quite a few passes, right? And I know we talk about interceptions kind of coming in bunches. And so you did see some games a little bit later on that helped Carolina out in the turnover margin battle. But early on, it was really hurting them. And so hopefully you don't go through that kind of drought with the emphasis of a Jero's defense saying, hey, focus on the ball, right? There are clips out there on social media. Hey, focus on the task. Focus on the tat, like the individual forcing that ball out, making sure you tackle and wrap up. Like for me, I think that kind of emphasis can really help out the secondary. I think the big thing that's going to help them the most is just his emphasis on getting to the quarterback, which surprise, surprise, any defensive coordinator is going to do that. But just the way in which he will do that with those op fronts, with those blitzes, with those things giving the quarterbacks less time, uh, hopefully, to get those passes off so those guys can make plays and not have to cover for so long. Because, like I said, never been a big fan of Dante Jackson like that. I'm not sure there's a ton of fixing him. Uh, I just think that, like I said, his biggest way to help the secondary will be to be able to give the quarterback uh, less time to get the football off. We know they work in conjunction, and uh, we will work in conjunction with Fitty. Fitty, get us out of here on another I'll try to do my best as long as Walker doesn't interrupt me. Uh, did you guys see... Wait, why did you say that? <laughs> We're going to fight. <laughs> did y'all see Sean Payton's introductory press conference at all yesterday? Any of the comments that came out of it? I saw the one about Russell West. I mean, Russell Westbrook. Russell Wilson's trainer. Right. The personal coach. I saw that comment. That he basically said that ain't going to happen here. Is it... How happy as guys that hate Russell Wilson, that hate Sean Payton... They ain't been in the same building a week. And there's already a little bit of sign of dysfunction between the most punchable quarterback in the league and the most punchable head coach in the league. Yeah, you're probably right. I know Sean Payton has held that title for a while. I, I mean, Matt Rule could have held that title. I don't know about Panthers fans before thinking that, but certainly after. But Russell Wilson, too. Yes, it is all very nice. I would like to see this blow up as well. And it seems like there at least is a little bit there saying, hey, I, I don't know. I'm not too familiar with that, but that's not going to be happening here. I feel like there could be some drama coming. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. A quarterback that's been in power with that much money and that much clout, as you could say, within a franchise with a coach that's going to come in and demand equally as much. There's definitely going to be a power struggle there. So uh, when we come back, 
Oh, you done, Fitty? Is that it? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. When we come back, we're going to talk about Hornets, rumors, trade deadline heating up. This is the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We hear all of your text on the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. We do know that Steve Wilkes has been named the defensive coordinator. At least the 49ers plan to hire Steve Wilkes as their defensive coordinator. We did the breaking news sound. We talked about it a little bit, but we can dive a little bit deeper into Steve Wilkes taking over this job. With San Francisco, the 49ers, they lost to Miko Ryans, a highly sought-after coaching candidate, going to now the Houston Texans to be their head coach after he was the defensive coordinator for San Francisco. D'Amico Ryans took over for Robert Sala after Sala went to the Jets to be their head coach. So now here is San Francisco once again going after a pretty pretty talented defensive mind in Steve Wilkes. How excited are you about this hire? Having had a unique angle as a 49er fan, getting to cover Steve Wilkes and now watching him go to your favorite team? Um, I mean, I'm excited about it for him. It's going to be a great opportunity. He's clearly going to coach. And I'm not saying that being a San Francisco fan or whatever the case may be, but he is going to coach the most talented defense that he's had in terms of personnel. There's a lot to work with there, and there's a lot for him to really show uh, his chops as a defensive coordinator and have one of the top-ranked units in the league at his disposal. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about dealing with an excellent linebacker in Fred Warner. You're talking about a defensive line and the defensive player of the year in Nick Bosa. More than likely. Yeah. I mean, this is a defense that is crazy talented. And I believe it was A.Q. Shipley on the Pat McAfee show who was talking about this, that Steve Wilkes, during his most successful defensive stints, he's had excellent linebacker play because that defense, it relies on some good linebacker play. And now you have Fred Warner and San Francisco, of course, with tons of talent all over the place. A Funka, a great safety, too. So there, yeah. there's crazy. he got a few great linebackers. Greenlaw is nasty. So yeah. He's got some guys to work with. Yeah. And so the fact that you have pro, all pro guys, not even just pro bowl level players, yeah. but all pro, uh, all pro guys, you're hoping that Steve Wilkes can have a similar level of success. Now, what's interesting, I, I saw somebody tweet this right under Steve Wilkes and the report that he's going to be hired. And The tweet was, San Francisco stays getting those third-round compensatory picks. And so I had forgotten about it, but 
teams can receive a compensatory third round pick if a minority coach or executive is hired to the same or better role by a different club as a result of the league's effort to increase diversity and hiring coaches and front office executives. So San Francisco, they've hired dudes that are 100% deserving of the job because we know about the practices and lack thereof hiring minority candidates to a potential part in the NFL, in the NFL really more so head coaching. But so here's San Francisco. They hire Robert Sala to be defensive coach. They get a third-round compensatory pick after he leaves for the Jets job. They have D'Amico Ryans, excellent defensive mind, proved that on all fronts. D'Amico leaves for Houston. San Francisco gets a third-round compensatory pick. This applies to Carolina. So as we talked about with the Jero Avero taking over as this defensive coordinator, if he does leave, as we think there's a high likelihood that he does because he is so highly sought after because of how good of a defensive coordinator he is. If he leaves, then Carolina has a little insurance because you do get a third round compensatory pick or I, I don't know if it's all third round in every single sense, but I do know that is as high as you can get. And so that's something that could help out Carolina. Not only do you hire the right guy. He has to stay for two seasons. Two seasons. So that would be interesting that if he doesn't stay for two seasons, then you do lose out on that. So that's a good stipulation. But if you do, right, if you hold on to him, then that would mean a lot to this franchise as well. And we've seen San Francisco just have this happen again. So we we see Steve Wilkes now go to San Fran. We see Ajero Avero go to Carolina. And both of these guys, 100% deserving of it. So kind of interesting there that Steve Wilkes lands with an excellent defense. Should be set up for success here, Wes. What do they like to say? Uh, the song God did. Okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he went through an unfortunate situation here, but he landed uh, in a fantastic spot for him. They could springboard him uh, to his next job. So kudos to him. And we'll see what he does with the Niners. Well, what, let's talk about that a little bit more. Like, what are the chances he could get another coaching job because that was a topic of discussion for us when we were discussing, okay, is Steve Wilkes going to remain the head coach for Carolina? And Mm -hmm. if not, was this his last shot? Mm -hmm. I I do think San Francisco's defensive coordinator role gives him kind of another boost, right? I think that kind of does prolong the possibility, which is why it's so great to see him get this job. Yeah. I mean, you come in and you look at the last two before you, we talked about that. They got jobs as well, but the high profile games that you will be in a chance to really show what you can do. He's going to be hopefully in a lot of high profile games next season. So he will be a name that is going to ring bells. People are going to know uh, what happened to him in this situation here in Carolina. But now this kind of gives him a fresh glow, so to speak, to where teams will look at him. And uh, it, that position is almost becoming like a – it's hard to to compare it to something. But you know how Nick Saban gets a lot of his coordinators' jobs. And it's almost like, okay, you were the Alabama – Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, okay, we want you to be our head coach. And that San Francisco, D.C. position, uh, especially with Salah having some success, and then if uh, D'Amico is able to go over to Houston and turn that team around, that's going to really turn into a coveted position by uh, probably owners and GMs to look at that as as head coaches. Well, and it's also nice to see these guys actually get the benefit of the doubt in, in situa- uh, situations. Well, and these guys just flat out meeting minority candidates, right? I mean, you're talking about Robert Sala. Okay, that that defense has a lot of talent on it. 
but we still want that mind to come in and help coach the Jets. And their defense was good this yeah. year. Robert Salas was. And now you're talking about D'Amico Ryans. And I know we talked about his chops, how much we view him, how good of a mind is he with all that talent. Well, Houston thought highly enough to go get D'Amico Ryans. And, and by the way, Houston, the Texans organization, thought highly enough to go get D'Amico interesting dynamic deal too yeah and so now steve wilkes is getting that so it has kind of been a springboard at seth from concord is writing in that as well all right let's let's talk a little bit about the charlotte hornets on the other side um and uh excuse me let's talk about Ajero avero on the other side nick cosmider of the athletic the denver broncos beat writer he'll be joining us and then we can get to some hornets trade deadline talk in the last hour of wes and walker at sports radio 92.7 wfnz